Hour number two, Canuck Central, special draft day edition, which means uh, we're working for an extra hour today. Happy to. Happy to. Lots to talk about. These are the good days, and uh, we will continue to break down the Canucks draft and the rest of the NHL entry draft. You can go back, listen to some of our thoughts on their draft class, uh, at least initial thoughts. We'll have more here coming up with Shane Malloy, who will join us in just a moment. Also, uh, Director of Amateur Scouting Todd Harvey joined us, and uh, you just heard from Dennis Weidman, assistant coach of the Kitchener Rangers, now coaching the Canucks' uh, third-round draft choice, Hunter Brustovich, his take on Hunter and uh, what he is as a player and where he can still improve so check that out now available on podcast with your favorite podcatcher subscribe leave a review we do appreciate it we'll bring in our next guest he joins us regularly here on canuck central has been giving his take on this draft class for a while now and uh this is post-draft thoughts from shane malloy how you doing shane doing great um it was a fantastic draft nashville is obviously a great city what I really appreciated that there was no trades in the first round. It was all about the prospects. Mm-hmm. It was the first time that's ever happened in the 24 drafts that I've covered that that's ever happened. And it just made our show covering the first round so smooth. And I just don't like the distractions or taking away the focus of the players because that's their day instead of having to discuss uh, some third line player who got traded for a fourth round pick. Well, and, and I think those are the types of drafts too that we we was a type of draft that also had a couple surprises in terms of draft selections. That that may be crazy reaches like Leo Carlson goes second overall, uh, Dmitry Shimashev goes sixth overall to the Arizona Coyotes, and, and it was a little bit of excitement. And I think especially for where Vancouver was at eleven, it created a lot of buzz and intrigue. And you know, um, I, I thought angst within the fans as well based on who was available. How how did you think the draft broke getting to number eleven and the options Vancouver had at that point? Well, I think it, it fell right into their lap of what they would probably think their best best available player is and their organizational needs. Sometimes that actually converges. And so fortunately for the Vancouver Canucks, it did in getting Tom Willander at, at that spot. Uh, I had him at 13th overall, so it was right in the wheelhouse. I mean, the difference between seven spots on somebody's ranking is honestly in the first round is irrelevant. Um, the difference of 20 spots in the second round is equally as irrelevant because it's just really based on how you value certain aspects or positions or playing style. So um, that doesn't really matter um, from my perspective. And, and honestly, how it felt like I had Dmitry Semeshev you know, at eighth overall on my list. I project him as a number three defenseman. So it wasn't um, a surprise to me and good on the Arizona Coyotes. I thought um, they made up really well considering Bill Armstrong's greatest asset at this time is time. Mm-hmm. He has time to wait. So there's no need for them to push players through unnecessarily into the NHL. You know, on uh, on Tom Willander, a, a player that uh, grew in, uh, I guess, reputation as we got closer and closer to the draft, a lot of um, applause for you know his defensive smarts and his skating, and he started to flash some more offense as the season went on. Uh, do you see him as a complete package? Do you see more offense in his game as a prospect as well? Yes, 100%. One of the things that ends up happening when you're playing in Europe, uh, in some cases, when you're playing against obviously with the men, um, you know, if he moves up from J20 into playing with men, there's a little bit of defer a little bit mm-hmm. in that respect. And in the J20 league, although it's very talented, 
it's a little bit more chaotic um, and there's not as much structure. So, you know, he, and he plays a game with a lot of structure. So when you end up moving up the ranks and playing with, you know, pro players, obviously he's, uh, you know, when he hits the AHL eventually after, you know, his time is done in, in college, it's going to be an opportunity. He'll actually thrive more effectively in a more structured game. And that's where you're going to see the opportunity because he's going to know that his wingers and salmon are where they're supposed to be. So he can like put that pass or create time and space with his skating to create, you know, offensive opportunities, particularly in transition because the skating is so dynamic. I think he is um, all around the best skater in this draft class from like four wave mobility forward skating, like the entire package. I think he's the best skater. And, I watched a play he made against the Americans in the U18s where he went behind the net to get his puck, get the puck and he drew two def- two forwards on the forecheck towards him another one started to converge in that direction and he pivoted and went back the other way and got the puck up to his winger and into transition and there was an you know an offensive opportunity I just think the kid has a lot of upside what I like about him and what I project him to be is that linchpin number three defenseman mm-hmm. that really can not only kill penalties, but can match up against the other team's best lines um, and be able to be a stabilizing force. When things sort of get a little chaotic, you can throw Will under out there and he'll calm things down. And just because his skating ability creates so much time and space for himself and for his defense partner and for the forwards out on the ice with him. Well, and, you know, and it's been really interesting, too, uh, listening to a lot of the reaction. And I think a lot of the negative reactions, obviously, from fans and fans can, you know, they they feel the way they feel. And we love the passion that they have. But, you know, the the argument always was or has been that, hey, Zach Benson was there. He's a guy that has high upside as a scoring winger. And I kind of pose this question to uh, Todd Harvey as well. But when we talk about the scarcity of the position, right-handed defenseman, but also somebody who projects to be a good two-way defender at that position. Like in terms of value to your team, like what is more valuable, a guy that's perhaps, you know, a strong second-line winger or like perhaps a guy that is a number three linchpin defenseman on the right side who's so scarce? Because personally, I, I would always err towards a righty defenseman. I don't even urge. It's not even a question. It's not a question. You take the number three defenseman, look at how much, that a team has to pay in a trade acquisition for a number three defenseman. It's always high. What do they pay for them in free agency in terms of the term of their salary and how much they have to pay them? It's always high and ridiculous. So you have an opportunity to do that. What's more valuable for your team? It's a number three defenseman. And like, don't get me wrong, because I think you know, Zach Benson is, is a very highly skilled player. But one of the questions you always have to ask when you're going, especially in this draft class, is how many smaller wingers that have you know skating isn't their best attribute have may have some problems with their skating how many of those are in the nhl and then how effective are they and i'm not saying jack zach benson won't be because he's got the hockey sense of puck skills and he'll get stronger and his skating will get better but i'll take the defenseman any day of the week and i like zach benson as a player i think he has a lot of upside but I think this just fits what the Vancouver Canucks need, but also I think he's the best player available based on positional need and the value of what defensemen are. Um, and I have defensemen that are top three def- top three potential much higher than a second-line winger any day of the week. When we just spoke to Todd Harvey, he, he mentioned that you know, IQ is among the top of their list of, of traits they prioritize in, in young players and 
you know, we see that throughout their their draft class, even in just some of the uh, reading I've done on, on some of the prospects. I didn't know all that well. You know, it's it's their IQ that may, maybe is their, their best trait and the one trait that's going to help them grow through the levels and potentially become a professional hockey player. When, when you look at prospects, you know, how hard is it to sort of identify that hockey IQ and, and what is it about you know, the awareness, the IQ in their game that can help them you know, maybe even overcome some of their, you know, less pro abilities in order to progress through the levels. Well, if you can think and process the game at a, at a level higher than your peer group, it's going to give you a distinct advantage. And one of the things that players, when they have really high IQ, they really quickly recognize that their first option when they have the puck is generally always the best. So they don't even hesitate. The fact is they just don't think. You know, not like what how we think. Like, they process information so quickly that, you know, thinking is a detriment to them. So in that respect, if you can think the game faster and understand where the play is developing and where you need to be, even if you're not the best skater, even if you don't have the, the most size, that's a distinctive advantage of having hockey sense. And it's not the easiest thing to completely identify because sometimes you can get, oh, like, misinterpreted what hockey sense is and think, oh, a guy put up a whole bunch of points in junior must have great hockey sense. That's not necessarily the case. There could be other skill sets that helps him just simply dominate with uh, in a league where he's playing against boys and not against men. So, you know, uh, that is obviously certainly a priority of mine when I'm trying to evaluate players. Well, and that's the one side of it. I know the Canucks also spoke highly about character and try to evaluate that. And that's also something that's very difficult to evaluate and also something we've discussed before, Shane. We're talking about 18-year-olds. What's going to happen in their lives the next two or three years? How are they going to adapt to that? And how does that you know, inform their character and how they handle life and the decisions and choices they make on and off the ice to begin with? So it, there's a lot of things you're just projecting, you're just hoping for and rolling a dice for. But in terms of, you know... An example of that, we look at Willander in terms of the seriousness he has. He's going to college next season to play. He views that as being better because he can get more practice time playing at Boston University. He can focus on developing his body more, learning to become better offensively. It seems like he's got the right mentality. He's smart. His English is already good. When it, when you kind of have when you can seemingly hit on the character side, how big can that be? Well, it's tremendous because if you look at not only in the NHL, but if, particularly if you look at you know special forces. Uh, units in you know Canada, United States, or you know NATO. You know character is actually the most important thing, even more so than your ability to be you know a tac- your tactical practitioner. You know out in the battlefield, that is obviously important. But the, they take a high high level character first and will train you up. But if you have a low character in any way, even if you're highly skilled, the likelihood of you playing in the NHL more mature games becomes remote. Because you just don't have the ability or the willingness to do what is necessary. You don't have the learnability from that standpoint, uh, and you're not coachable, and you don't have very good self-awareness, and you also make bad choices. And, you know, that doesn't certainly help when, you know, amongst your teammates or as well as your organization. So, you know, character for me is one of the top things as well because it's an indicator of what your future success will be. How much do uh, teams nail down their draft boards at the combine, and and certainly those last few interviews they get before the draft actually happens? You know, it, it when we spoke to Patrick Alvine last week, he 
you know, spoke a ton about how interviews help them with their lists. Um, what do you know about how that process helps team nail, nail down their draft boards? Well, I've been in the room, uh, luckily enough, with some NHL teams in those processes, and much of it is confirmation. So your scouts are going out there amongst your other you know, staff, and you're collecting information on players and doing interviews with not only the players, but you know, background information with a variety of different people that know them and have been around them. You know, they don't have to, they don't have to be friendly. They just want to be around them. And you collect all that data and then you get to the point where you get into the combine and do some interviews. And really that's the confirmation process. And just to get your last opportunity to talk to those players, because some of the staff haven't spoken to that player. So they want to ask some specific questions also based on the intel that you've already collected. So I think that's always a valuable tool, but the problem is also that the, the players are so prepped for that. Sometimes the answers are stock. So you really have to do your homework in terms of asking the right questions so they feel comfortable. You have to provide a level of empathy that you, know, you understand what they're going through and what they have gone through so that they're more comfortable and try to get around those stock answers. Well, and, you know, as far as just kind of going through the rest of what Vancouver did at the draft here, what did you think of their second-round selection, Hunter Pusevich? Well, I look at actually both the defensemen they took in the, in the third round, and, you know, where I had them on the list, I had projected them to be at, at the high point their third-pairing D-man, like five or six, most likely, you know, depending on the situation. So in Hunter's case, an offensive third-pairing that could potentially – help out on the, on the second unit power play. And then, you know, with for Sawyer there as well, it's really about, I projected both those guys to be more, I guess I would, I'd call them call-up defensemen, guys that will probably get about 100 games in their NHL career. But it really depends on their development and the, new, and the new development staff. The difficulty is there's not enough track record and proof of concept from this group because they're so new to be able to really truly judge fairly what they're going to be able to do with these players because environment and the player development department are so massively impactful on success of a player. We always tend to always look at the scouting and the evaluation part of it. And that's important too. But I think the player development and the environment of the organization are just as a critical component. And if that's not a synergistic strategy and you don't have everybody on the same page, um, it can really derail a prospect's opportunity to play in the NHL. So I think that's going to be critical for the Canucks. One of the other interesting things I did happen to give credit for and I liked is, you know, you get into their fourth rounds and their sixth rounds, all those, and we've talked about this in the past, that is I like the fact that those players, it's either a European player mm-hmm. or it's going to be a player that's going to university. Right. And what I like about that is it gives them a longer track to be able for player development. They don't have to be pushed in the American Hockey League right away as a 20-year-old compared to a CHL player. So obviously you're drafted because you have things you have to work on. And what you need is time. So those developmental processes and that, that schedule is better than a CHL player taking them at those spots. So, um, you know, whether I, you know, think the player is going to be effective or not, I think, you know, the whole strategy and the fact of, where those players are playing now and where they're going to play in the future is an indication of and recognizing that, you know, time is the biggest asset for those players. 
Uh, the Canucks selected two overagers in Ty Mueller and, and Matthew Perkins. And I know that's uh, sort of a draft process that a lot of people may not love. Uh, wh- what do you think about uh, drafting overagers and, and how they rank comparatively to you know younger prospects in their draft year? I don't have a problem with it. And, and the reason is, is you draft players so young. Mm-hmm. First-year draft eligible. They're not 17- or 18-year-old kids. And we look at the difference between what happens in other sports who draft later, like 2021. So I don't have a problem with that, particularly if you're going to go play in college. So I'm fine with that. If you're going to get an extra, you know, get an extra year or two in college, or you're going to get, you know, potentially three more years in college before you have to turn pro. I don't like sending players to the American League as 20 year olds or 19 year olds. I don't like it at all because it's just the likelihood of them developing becomes less because the American League is a meat grinder. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's yes, it's a developmental league, but it's a, it's the second best league in the world. So my preference is always to put my prospects in there if they're lower draft picks. You know, at twenty one, twenty two, um, you know, twenty one at the earliest, so that they're better prepared not only physically but mentally and emotionally as well. Yeah, and you know, certainly you're right. Uh, pretty much every single player the Canucks picked. Uh, outside of uh, the third round where players going to college or going to Sweden or currently playing in college. And, you know, in in terms of the college route and uh, how players are kind of taking that more seriously, do you think over the next, say, four or five years, we're going to see even more some European players join over? Because we've seen some Swedish players go over, but Willander going, he's the highest-ranked Swede, I think, ever to go uh, and join and and play at the NCAA level. Is this going to become a bigger pathway, you think, for some European players? Um, it may. Um, I think more importantly, it's going to be a more um, at a bigger path for North American players. Because look at the rise of the number of players that have been drafted out of the USHL. It keeps rising every year. Like they produce far more draft picks than the, than the QMJHL, and they rival the WHL. Maybe not this year, but you know, in many cases, on on average, they're on par. They're very very close. So only the OHL is farther along in terms of, you know, NHL draft picks. So it's just because I think people are becoming more aware, more sophisticated and understanding that, you know, they need more time to develop before they get into the American Hockey League. And that helps them with a greater level of probability that they will play. And the end of the day, the whole point is to play in the NHL. So, you know, they really, there may have to be some reconsiderations about uh, the CHL and that, that number and how many 20s they can hold on the roster. Because I think, at the end of the day, it should be increased from three to six. I just like players to stay longer in those leagues before they go into the American League. Because, you know, the ones that are in the first round, you know, especially the first half of the first round, those players I'm not worried about. It's just everybody else. you got to hit on more, on more than one player. So, you know, the development's critical. Shane Malloy, our guest, uh, host of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL and available on podcast uh, before we let you go Shane um, was there a particular player or a particular pick uh, or maybe one team's draft class that you really liked in Nashville uh, it was St. Louis I give them a lot of credit now you look at their first round and you could say well that's not very flashy but what they drafted was a tremendous amount of substance in terms of so you look at Dalbor Dvorsky I think he's going to project into a number two centerman and Otto Stenberg reminds me a lot of, of Michael Backlund out of Calgary. And the end of the day, could be a really like elite level number three centerman. 
And Theo Lindstein could be more of a linchpin number three, you know, you know, kind of a two-way defensive mm-hmm. defenseman. None of that sounds sexy and flashy, but what it is is the substance that you need in your roster to go through long playoff runs. And they all fit the playoff mold in that respect. So I really, I actually thought what St. Louis did um, really reflected that. And then also in the third round, they took Quentin Burns, who is the meanest piece of work of a defense that offensive. He's a throwback. He actually reminds me a little bit of Kevin Bieksa. Like he's a mean piece of business. So I'm really like, for me, it looked like they were taking players that they thought, okay, these are playoff style players. And these are the kind of guys that are going to help us in the future. Uh, in terms of stylistically, what, what did you think of, I mean, obviously Connor Bedard goes first overall, but for them to also be able to snag Oliver Moore a 19th, what did you think of them being able to address a center position like that? Well, that, that just gives you your potentially your number one and number two center for the future mm-hmm. in that respect. And they stylistically play so differently. I think that's actually an advantage strategically in your roster construction, but also when teams have to defend against you because you're just two entirely different centermen. So that is intriguing to me as well. So good on Chicago to, you know, it's fortunate because you can't control what's happening in front of you. So mm-hmm. it just happened to play out that way that all of them all went there. Shane, we really appreciate the time, the insights. Enjoy the rest of your stay in Nashville. All right, anytime, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, there he is. Uh, Shane Malloy, one of the best in the business, uh, the author of The Art of Scouting and also host of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL and also now available on podcast and YouTube. Yeah, uh, I mean, always great stuff from, from Shane. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> his breakdown there on the value between a winger and a even a number three defenseman and the yes. value of that number three defenseman. And when we say number three defenseman... It, it doesn't mean in terms of like he, you know, he's on your second pair. A number three defenseman essentially means the top pair in defenseman, a guy that's playing alongside one of your better defensemen that does everything, plays in every single situation. That's how they, they get referred to because they're usually alongside somebody, not not owning a pairing by themselves, but the critical part to a team that, like he mentions, the linchpin. So if you're the guy that can calm a game down, like he mentioned, yeah. and Chris and Duncan texting, can he come and play today and calm things down <laughs> for this Canucks team? But from that standpoint of things, but also just how how much you can influence the game in different ways. And with his skating ability, yes, you can even a, a guy like, to me, for, for Benson to be the better pick, if both guys hit, I think Benson has to be like a superstar, like Mitch Marner level. Yes. Then I'm like, all right, you know, obviously. He has to the hit a ceiling as, yeah, as that, a Mitch has Marner to be. comp. Because if it's like, if he's Jason Zucker, like to me, it's no debate. Yeah. You know, so it all depends on where it falls. And that's going to ultimately be what decides it here between, you know, whether it should have been Benson or, or Rolander. But the reason I like Rolander better yeah. was pretty much what, Sh- what Shane broke down. What I almost find humorous about some of the discourse over the, the, the Rolander pick versus Benson, especially, which mm-hmm. is seemingly some of what our texters and people that have tweeted me over the last 24 hours uh, seem to have wanted or seem to have preferred is it flies in stark contrast to how most people think about the Canucks current roster. Yeah. Where there's too many middle, like guys who have just been middle six wingers that don't have enough two way value. Don't do enough things around the team, like penalty killing or helping in special, you know, specialized areas of the game that help you get through win close games, those types of things. And they haven't had a good decor for the longest time. And now they prioritized 
the defenseman over the winger and you're not happy about it. Yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, I get it. And you know I, I mean I do get it. I understand why, but Yeah. I, and I think he, I think there is a contrast there. There is. Now, one thing to also keep in mind is when we're looking at this draft and when it's considered such a talented draft and so many tantalizing players, mm-hmm. I can understand like even the Benson thing, like if the Canucks had drafted Zach Benson, I wouldn't have sat here and been negative, been like, oh, I can't believe they drafted Zach Benson over Tom Willander. I would have been like, yeah, I wish they would have taken Willander. That's the guy I would have preferred because of these reasons. But Zach Benson's a very, very talented hockey yeah. player, you know, and he can do a lot of different things for you. And, and that's obviously true. But the, the biggest thing, I think, overall, when, when I'm evaluating players nowadays, and I think to those listening to this show, I think you've all kind of caught on to a pretty specific theme here in terms of two-way intelligence, mm-hmm. having guys who understand details, understand how to play the game, and also are just wired the right way. And because in Vancouver, we've, we've seen, we've had so much evidence of the wrong type of player and the wrong type of mentality yep. that I, like it's, it's pretty obvious what this team doesn't need anymore. It's and it's pretty obvious what they do need. Yes, <laughs> more functional hockey players. Uh, it is Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. We'll get to more of your questions. Continue the draft discussions as we continue here on Canucks. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. NHL Draft in the books. NHL Draft is brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing prospect talents including first-rounder Samuel Hanzik and Jaden Lipinski. They were both drafted to the Calgary Flames. Come watch NHL talent in action this season. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. It's um, a lot of... Interesting conversations coming out of the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll get to some of your texts and we're going to do a special draft edition of the mailbag. Yeah. Coming up after 3.30, Sat. Get some questions in. We have some questions on Twitter already. We'll take some on, t- on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox as well. 650-650. And we'll answer some questions coming up during the final segment of this draft special yep. edition of Canuck Central. And since it's uh, such a big week tomorrow, we will uh, be doing a free agency edition of the mailbag. So yes. get your free agency mailbag questions in for tomorrow. And uh, we'll have draft questions going for today i i did want to answer this question from raymond uh since you brought up carolina reach would like to hear your thoughts mm. carolina's had 50 picks since 2019 while being a great team how does that compare to vancouver i wasn't knocking i didn't mean to knock carolina's process um because yes like their idea of just getting as many picks as possible and the more picks you have, the more likelihood you have of actually hitting yeah. on some of those picks. Now, you know, despite having 50 picks in those drafts, you know, they've only had two players since 2019 actually play games. So, and one is Seth Jarvis, who was a first rounder, 13th overall. The other, Pyotr Kachetkov, who's played 27 games for them as a goalie and looks to be a pretty good one at that, continuing to grow in his game. So they've had a lot of throws at the dartboard 
and it still hasn't worked out a ton. Now, there's some good prospects that they have in their system, Scott Morrow and others included. My point was, you can have a great process and still end up with not a whole lot of tangible success coming out of your great process. But it is always better to have a great process. And one of my one of everybody's biggest criticisms of the Canucks over the last number of years is that they haven't had enough draft picks. Yeah. No, Despite they Despite being terrible, they haven't had enough draft you picks. You got to have more draft picks at the end of the day, right? And yeah. like we mentioned too, like you need to have the, what you need is to have second round picks. Yes. Carolina's hit on a more lot of picks second round picks. in the top picks. 100 is what I it's, like to say. Exactly, yeah. right? Now, you're right. They haven't hit on, on a ton of their third or fourth rounders, but they've had enough where they've been able to at least get a Nicholas Roy, right? They've yeah. been able to get a couple of players who have been very good in impact Or even players. guys that they've been able to use as trade bait. Yeah, Lister right? Ryan and now second round pick, but they've been able to do a lot of those seconds. And we mentioned the Canucks have barely hit on seconds. I mean, you know, maybe a couple. That's what we're talking about, two or three. Yep, yep. Uh, the past 20 years. That's, but a lot of it comes down to not having enough seconds. And also in general, like we talk about this organization being really low on defensemen. So this organization between the 29, between the 2018 draft and mm-hmm. the 2021 draft, so in four drafts, they selected eight defensemen. Mm-hmm. So in four draft classes, this organization selected eight defensemen. They've selected seven, they've selected seven defensemen the last two drafts. Yeah. <laughs> Seven defensemen. It's a huge need. I mean, and, and helps. it is BPA too and all that. But at the end of the day, you can't tell me that there haven't been focused on trying to add to defense because this organization had no defensemen almost. Like, no. Well, we... and, and there was that draft pick that, uh, or that, that one draft class where they didn't take any defensemen. It was yeah. 2019, I believe. The, the Canucks still haven't had a single player play a game from the 2020 draft yet. Yeah. You know, and, and now 2020 is not that far long ago, right? It's three years, three drafts ago. But still, you get into a point now where, where we're wondering is anybody going to play from the 2020 draft? You know, mm-hmm. Jacob Truscott may have a chance. Slodoyev, we'll see what he does in Russia over, over the le- le- next little bit. Victor Pearson, but he's a, a ways away. Then we get to the 2021 draft, and we're like, okay, Lucas Forcell's shown something. He's a seventh overall pick. Connor Lockhart is already gone. Uh, Hugo Gabrielson, he's got a little something. They traded Jonathan Myrenberg. Aku Koskin-Vowau, the Finnish goaltender. Uh, he's playing, playing NCAA, uh, so we'll see where he goes. Klimovich to be determined, right? And then last year's draft where, you know, it's only a year ago and a lot to be determined yet. Lickaramacchio could finish towards the end, but Pedersen had something. So, I mean, it's, you go back before the last two drafts, they haven't really selected a lot. There isn't a lot there coming through the pipeline. So get more draft picks. We're all on board with that. Uh, select more. And yeah, I, I, I can, we can all poke holes with some of their process this year. Uh, one of the things Shane mentioned was, uh, you know, getting guys that are headed to or through the college ranks mm-hmm. in the later rounds because there they get uh, a longer runway to develop. Yeah. Uh, you get more control over them without having to give them a contract, those types of things. And also, you know, they get a lot of practice time. It's uh, something Tom Lander talked yeah. about, you know, as something he's prioritizing. You, know, you get a lot of practice time. You're not playing games every other night. So, inherently you're able to have more time to develop while also getting game action. And I think that's why more players are prioritizing college as a development path for their careers. Now on on that front of where the Canucks stand with Mm -hmm. their current pool of prospects, you know, we've had Patrick Alvin in the job now for a little over a year. He's gone through two draft processes 
He's had a couple of trade deadlines. He's going into his second big offseason of being able to you know, add to this roster and, and make some changes. But one of the difficult things for Alvin right now is he's trying to make the team better at the NHL level, but has also made a concerted effort to build out some of the depth in the organization through the prospect ranks and through the AHL ranks, just depth in general. <laughs> and it hasn't been all that easy because they haven't had a ton of draft picks. Mm -hmm. Granted, some of that is his own doing, trading away some of the ones that they acquired in the trades they've made. But they have done some of the things they said they were going to do. And that is add players through European free agency, add players... Yeah, through the undrafted college free agent route. So they have found ways to build out some of their depth, maybe not so much at the high end, but they've got some at least players who look like they can play games and potentially have a role in the organization going forward, even beyond the Willanders and Lekaramakis that they selected in the first round of the past two seasons. So one thing uh, we were trying, I was trying to get at a couple of weeks ago, and I remember it was actually uh, Nate and Comox got really upset. He's like, I can't believe you're carrying water for this organization and all of a sudden boasting their prospect pi pipeline. That's and all we do. My back is breaking <laughs> from the amount of water we carry here on Canuck yeah. Central. Hard at work here. No, uh, <laughs> but I I I'd say, uh, and, and the point I was trying to make was the Canucks prospect system still isn't good. Even after this draft, it's still not good enough. No. It still needs to improve greatly. But it was literally maybe the worst system in the entire league when these guys came into yeah. control of this organization. Like I just mentioned, the last four drafts, so from 2018 to 2021, this team selected eight defensemen in total. Yeah, They've selected seven in the last two drafts. And let's not forget, they also signed Akito Hirose, mm -hmm. a Cole McWard, and Philip Johansson. Yeah. So they've added 10 defensemen to the prospect pool pipeline in two years. Yeah. They, they had... They added to eight and four. You know, so you talk about you, getting more, uh, throwing more darts at the board. They've thrown a lot more darts at the board, right? And, and that's not to say all this is going to work out, but now you, you at least have, you're starting to get enough of a mass here through these players that you can look at it and say, can one or two guys hit? Because now all of a sudden, instead of having, you know, five or six defensemen on their list, now it's Willander, Pedersen, right? Yep. Uh, Elias Pedersen, DPD. There's Philip Johansson, who they're high on and mm -hmm. go, uh, and everything, right? There's Brusevich, who they just drafted now. There's Gabrielson, who we mentioned. Kudratsev, the player they like and just signed to an entry-level contract. Another Milstein client, I should add. Seventh-round pick last year. Exactly. Victor Pearson, Akito Hirose, Cole McWard, um, Sawyer Minu, who they also just drafted this year. Jake Dorrington, a defenseman who was in mm -hmm. college drafted last year. And Aiden Celebrini, who they just drafted. So all of a sudden now, Vancouver has 16 uh, has yes. 15 defensemen as prospects. Yes. A few that might be knocking on the door this year, Hirose, for instance. Jet Wu, too, yep. in that list. So now you have 15 guys. Can out of those 15, one become a top four defenseman? Just one. Just one. You know, and that's going to be Willander, hopefully. Now, if it's him, can you find a second guy who can play for you decently? Could be Elias Patterson with the way he's trending. Yeah, and then out of the rest of the group, can you get somebody else? So, so, hey, now you're talking. Now, now, now you're talking about not having to dip into free agency to spend, you know, what they might do this weekend, 2 to $3 million on an Ian Cole. Yeah, exactly, right? right? And all these guys are still a ways away outside of perhaps, like we mentioned, Hirose. We'll see with McWard, Jet Wu, perhaps. Philip Johansson this season might make an impact. The rest are still a little ways away. And to your point, 
And we'll talk about this more, especially tomorrow and on Saturday after whatever the Canucks do or are continuing to do on free agency. It's going to have to be to fill guys they don't currently have in their system, especially on the back end. And even though there's more to do on defense, they've gone from having maybe four or five prospects to now having 15 guys you can identify and say, hey, out of these 15, a handful are intriguing. Yeah. And look, not to say that they've fixed everything on defense because they haven't, Mm -hmm. but when you do have Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronick in the organization, now you've at least, in their eyes, were pretty set for now over the next couple of years with one guy we can really trust on each pair on our, each of our top two pairs. Right, and we've got to go about finding better fits for them on each of those top two pairs, and that's how we start to build out our top four on defense. And that's where some of this starts to come in, right? Do you get some players like Anita Kito Hirose or whomever else that can play roles for you on D moving forward? Uh, can a Jack Rathbone hit to a better level over the next little while and start mm-hmm. to ch- show something as somebody that can be a third pair guy that has some offensive pop? And I didn't even include uh, Jack Rathbone right. and Guillaume Brisebois into this list. As, you know, I don't know if I can, I mean Jack Rathbone. I could, should, probably should have put into that list at at sixteen guys. Guillaume he's Brisebois. now twenty four, but so is Akito Hirose. Yeah, so is Akito yeah, right? so is, is a bit older, and Brisebois has been around for a while now, right? You can still stay kind of in your system to some degree, but a little bit older on the older scale. Yeah. I don't know if any of those guys are going to be, um, and you know, it just tells you about Jack Rathbone too. Yeah, like I still wonder what his fit is, and yeah. if you're not moving him, a real make or break training camp coming up for him. Uh, if he's still a member of the Canucks organization by then, because he will require waivers this year, which will make things a little bit more interesting. But as far as their system now compared to when Patrick Alvine took over, I mean, there's a lot more tangible players here and a lot more tangible prospects in the pool yeah. than they used to have. Now, yeah, of course, you know, you just draft. Everybody loves their draft class. Well, maybe <laughs> of not. They do. Maybe not all Canucks fans love the draft <laughs> class. Uh, after well, the organizations year. love their draft class. Every organization loves their draft class after they've just drafted it, right? But you've got Willander, you've uh, Willander, you've got uh, Lekaramaki. You added Josh Bloom. You added Aturatu. So you've at least started to build out a credible like top five prospect. Yeah, le- you know, like yeah, there's the, at least something there now. Yeah, I'd say the the top five now. Now when you have Vilander and Lekaramaki yes. into your top five, now you can kind of debate and figure out the rest. But you have those two players, and so like, yeah, that all of a sudden you have a top five with a, with a couple like forty percent of it is like legitimate, like yes. really good, and the rest you can kind of talk yourself into it not being too bad and at least you know somewhat okay. I like, still, if anything, Ratu like the the shine wore off the longer he was in in Vancouver towards the end of the year. Yeah, but that's exactly. I mean, so we just had Shane Malloy on right now, right? Yeah. If you go back and listen to the Shane Malloy interview we had after the Canucks acquired Atu Ratu, the thing he said was, "You can't look at him this year. You look at him this year and, and expect like this guy who's uh, maybe two years away." He can be a third-line center. There's a lot of upside there. He can be a good player. But based on his profile and based on his trajectory, you got to be patient. And if you're expecting him to come in and look like anything that you want today, you're going to be mistaken. And that's, that's exactly what happened. People yeah. came in like, how come? It's like, well, that's a projection, man. Like, they're giving mm-hmm. him a chance, but he's got a long way to go. He needs time. But he's still a legitimate prospect. You know, he was still the best player in the Islander system. Now he's in Vancouver and he's, what, the third, fourth guy? Yeah. So 
And now part of it, this too is, and this is the honesty part of it, the Canucks system was so poor, it was obviously going obviously to get it, gonna get better no matter who was in charge. Yes. They're going to add some picks to it. And it was so low. It's like, you got to get better. You're obviously going to improve it, right? Even, even if you added five undrafted free agents, they would have all of a sudden boosted the system. That's how bad the system was, right? So you have to put that into perspective. But look at the centermen, for instance. Niels Olman, you can say, has now emerged. But he's playing in the NHL. And if maybe if he sticks, he's... But he went from... He went from not being in the organization to before Ratu got here being the best center prospect this team had. Yeah. And he came out of nowhere and they had nobody, right? And now outside of that, you have Sasson who they signed. Mm-hmm. We'll see how he fits in. Perkins and Mueller are two other guys that they drafted. Uh, we'll see with Cosmar, Gardner, Baines, and, and Carlson, although I think those guys might be on the wing. Gardner's another guy that drafted last year, has some sides. We'll see if he can play center. But they have a few guys now. But again, all these guys are new guys they've added. The only guy that's old and part of the system is Lodoyev, Cosmar, and uh, Carlson. Yeah. Those are the guys that are already in the organization. Uh, the other 10 centers that are prospects we just mentioned are guys, seven out of those 10 players are guys they've just added. Yeah. So, and it's still going to take some time to see what they turn out to be. They've really deprioritized wings, though, outside of drafting Lakira Mackey last year. Yeah. Because, like, they've only added Josh Bloom, really, mm-hmm. and Ulrichson so far. It's, it's, they've really added to the center and D prospect core. So, drafting more positions of priority has been something that they've done. And, you know, the whole, we get a lot of questions about best player available versus, you know, drafting for need. Here's the thing about that conversation that is so, um, well, you're going to talk yourself into circles because every team is going to tell you that they drafted their best player available. Yeah. (laughs) Now, how do they factor in, you know, a right shot defenseman? How do they grade a right shot defenseman versus a winger? Those are the types of things that we don't necessarily know. How much do they prioritize or add a few extra points on their board for being a right shot defenseman versus being a winger. The thing we all know is drafting or the better asset always turns out to be the defenseman or the centerman, right? When teams are going out, like when a team has, what did the Canucks prioritize when they were trading Bo Horvat? They wanted a center or a defenseman. Yeah. And they ended up getting Aturatu. Yeah. Now, why was Aturatu uh, and the New York Islanders the team that they chose to send Bo Horvat to well they got a centerman and they got the first round pick yes <laughs> and that was essentially what you know made them what tipped the scales to the Islanders into making that deal for the Canucks and when you look around and when teams are moving a big time asset what are they prioritizing they're generally prioritizing defensemen and centers so ultimately as an asset you have to grade the defenseman or the centerman a little bit higher than the wing because the entire league values those things a little bit more as an asset. So it's always going to factor in and it's always going to lead to the conversation being, well, yeah, this guy was the best player available on our board because they factored in his positional value into their best player available equation. It always happens. Now, the degree of that factor all is always dependent on the player. Yes. But one thing that I know you referred to this as well, it's very difficult to identify players who are true, truly going to play center. Yes. 
you know, and this is something that Alvin mentioned last year, like you've mentioned that, hey, there are a lot of guys that could play center maybe, mm-hmm. but they're all probably wingers. So yeah. it's like we can sit here and talk ourselves into drafting somebody else because we think he's a center, but he's probably going to be a winger as well. So instead of, you know, overthinking it, just take the best pure winger, which is LaCara Mackey. The other guys, it's probably not going to work. So this year, there are a few guys who are obvious centers, at least one guy, yeah. Nate Danielson, yep. shot up aggressively, goes ninth overall in this mm-hmm. year's draft. Because for a guy who's assuredly a center, despite the fact that he may have some qualities or lack some qualities that some higher-end guys have. And a right-shot center. Right-shot center at that. That factors into the evaluation. It's not so much that you're taking the guy based on positional need. It's the player's more valuable because of the position. Yes. That, that's how it all factors in. So it's always going to be a part of the equation. Um, we've got <laughs> a lot of uh, questions coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. When and where is the rookie camp this year? Uh, it is going to be this weekend, I believe, uh, through at UBC, uh, starting on Saturday, is it, Josh? Sunday. Sunday? By 2nd to 5th. Uh, so 2nd to 5th is rookie camp at UBC. I think the Canucks have uh, detailed some of the uh, uh, events as they are happening on their website. And uh, Tuesday will be a 6 o'clock scrimmage for uh, the prospects as they come in. But um, I wonder, they haven't announced a roster or anything like that of who's going to be at development camp or anything like that just yet. I know people are asking about college players. Like, is Villander allowed to go there? My understanding is college eligible players are allowed to attend. They're yeah. not allowed to dev- to attend the Young Stars tournament. Young Stars tournament later on. Yeah, the only the only reason they're not allowed to is they're not allowed. They're allowed to, but they have to pay their own way. Mm. So if you're a college player, because of the uh, amateur rules yes. now, now I know things are a bit different now. So maybe it's changed. Slightly. They are changing a little bit. Yeah, things are changing in the NCAA. We know what athletes they can get paid. So I don't know exactly today how it stands. It's fluid in the NCAA and their regulations. But generally, and we'll find out when the Canucks send their list. It's been up to the player. If the player wants to come, he has to pay his own way because based on the amateur rules, a pro team can't be paying him or paying for his services. That's the whole amateur athlete eligibility thing. So uh, that's what would have to happen. I'd imagine he'd find a way to get here. Usually Uh, guys like that, if they find a way to get here. They find a way to make it happen. Uh, All right. Coming up, Matthew Perkins, fourth-round draft choice of the Vancouver Canucks, is going to join us. And uh, later in the third hour, we'll get to your questions in the mailbag. That's still to come on Canuck Central. Final hour, Canuck Central special draft edition of the program. And we're in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. So uh, seven picks in the books for the Vancouver Canucks, and they now... We'll look ahead to the off season. We'll get uh, more into that in just a little bit. Also, later on this hour, we will get to our mailbag mm-hmm. as well. So uh, if you have a draft question, 
a Canucks related question. It's a draft central edition of the mailbag that we'll get to in just a little bit. Awaiting uh, Matthew Perkins, one of the fourth round selections for the Vancouver Canucks uh, to call in and uh, join the show. We'll get a little bit more intel on one of the Canucks draft selections, hopefully here in the next few moments. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. Uh, I love draft weekend. Yeah, um, We'll talk once uh, we chat with, with Matthew here about the things that may have not occurred mm-hmm. and uh, the lack of trades overall. But day one was a lot of fun in terms of the picks and some of the things that happened, obviously. And given the lack of action, this like I think this weekend, despite the lack of trades, is probably going to be the true highlight of the offseason. Well, there has been a definite lack of trades. Yeah, <laughs> lack of moves. Uh, Bad free agent class. Yeah, there there was a few trades that were uh, made today. Um, Chicago acquired Josh Bailey and a second round pick in 2026 from the New York Islanders. They immediately bought out Josh Bailey. Yeah. Uh, so he won't be uh, joining the Chicago Blackhawks. He will rather be a free agent coming up on Saturday. Chicago then acquired Corey Perry for a seventh round pick from the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I imagine Chicago looking for a more veteran presence yes. uh, to add to their roster now that they added Nick Felino as well. And uh, Detroit, they acquired Kyler Yamamoto and uh, Klim Kostin from the Edmonton Oilers in exchange for nothing but future considerations. So those were the exciting trades that were made today on the draft floor. Yeah, even the trades are uh, boring because they're all one-sided. <laughs> they're just like salary dumps. They're just you know? sa- pure salary dumps. It's not even something fun like, you know, Josh Bailey for, you know, another bad contract yeah. or something, like one-for-one swaps Give us something to break down a little bit. It's just like, no, we're just trying to dump money because like, we got none. It's like one player, no draft pick trades. It's, it's pretty funny. And, I mean, yeah, so it's not exactly a lot of intrigue. But but I, you know what? Like, I, I love draft day, and I thought yesterday was a lot of fun, too. And, like, uh, Shane mentioned there was a nice flow to the draft. Yes, you know it was nice to just kind of be be able to break each guy down and talk about what happened and and uh, honestly the, the hype about getting Tom Willander, you know it's that's that's a lot of fun. What did you? Because uh, your tweet blew up. Oh, my people are also very mad. <laughs> I woke did up. You, this you couldn't have read through all of the mentions. Uh, I, I don't know about all of them. I bruised. I I, uh, I perused quite a few yes. of them. But uh, yeah, it was quite it was quite it was quite amusing when I woke up this morning. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, uh, one of uh, three fourth round selections by the Vancouver Canucks in today's NHL entry draft. It is Matthew Perkins now joining us. Uh, thanks for this, Matthew. Congrats on being drafted. Uh, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, uh, when did you get the call? How was it? Uh, probably would have been around ten twenty, I think it was, and uh, it was pretty amazing. Oh, and, you know, for yourself, this was the, the second time being through the draft process. What kind of expectations did you have coming into the draft this year? Um, honestly, I wasn't wasn't too sure it was going to happen. I kind of didn't get my hopes up too much that, that I was even going to go. So, I mean, it was obviously uh, super, super relieving and super awesome to see my name get called and then get that phone call from the Canucks organization. Uh, it's uh, it's got to be quite the moment for you. Uh, you spent the the year with the Youngstown Phantoms in the USHL. How do you how do you feel your game has been developing? And uh, can you describe your game to us uh, for the listeners that uh, don't know you too well just yet? Uh, yeah, I uh, had an awesome year down in Youngstown this year. Um, so that was awesome. We uh, ended up winning. So so we really really enjoyed good. my time down there. 
Pardon me, sorry. That's always good. Yeah, get the dub. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was awesome. And you know, and over the last couple of years, I think I've been able just to improve my game every every year with you know good coaches and good coaching staff. Um, I'd like to describe describe myself as a 200 foot um, forward who can you know play in play in every situation and can play honestly all all three positions of a forward. Well, and for yourself, I know uh, the people that have scouted you to the, the closest say your hockey intelligence, your your attention to detail really, it really stands out. How important is that for you to, uh, when you're out there, being a cerebral, effective player? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's huge. I think one of the biggest things is you got you to gotta know the game of hockey. And, you know, that's some you know, growing up watching hockey, kind of basically building your life around hockey. So it's kind of kind of been built into me. Matthew Perkins, our guest here on uh, on Canuck Central. Um, so so, what are your plans for continuing to to develop your game? What does your summer look like? Uh, yeah, we got a got a great group of guys who uh, go to level ten every morning. So we've got a great group to work out with, and then skating skating with uh, Brent Bobick to do power skating and working with. Uh, my old coach, Trevor Weisgerber, who I coached me when I played Moose Jaw, Midget AAA. Um, and then also skating with the uh, the next level group out of Regina. And as far as, uh, you know, what lies next for you, you're going to the University of Minnesota Duluth, and, you know, you spent this year preparing for that as well. Uh, wh- what made you uh, take the college route, and what is it about that program that, that, that made you choose them? Um, I, I think it's always been something that, my family's looked into is kind of heading down south and going to school while I while I'm able to play hockey as well. So it was kind of always one of those where I've kind of been looking to to head down there. Um, and then I mean, went down to Duluth. The uh, facilities are awesome. Seems seems like a really great town. And then really really like Scott and the the coaching staff out in Duluth. And um, I mean they've been super super good in the past years so it was uh was definitely one of the reasons why I, I decided to go there so a lot of uh a lot of praise for your uh iq and awareness uh, on the ice where do you where do you think that develops from is that uh, just watching a lot of hockey growing up in sask uh yeah i think i mean between lots of lots of watching and then i mean also lots of lots of playing <laughs> yeah that definitely uh, is is uh, is part of it. Uh, what's uh, what's Matthew Perkins doing when you get time away from the rink? Um, like to golf. Um, big lake guy. Like to head out to the lake with the family and friends. Get out on the boat. Nice. I'm hey. Uh, uh, I'm a big lake guy too. Anytime you get out in the, into the into the wild, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The lake. The lake's pretty awesome. Now, when you go into what are you going to be uh, focusing on for your studies at university? I'm taking a majoring in business of economics and then also taking a secondary major of entrepreneurship. Oh, there you go. So businessman, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we like to quote the big short on, uh, on this show a lot. So it's, uh, one, of, one of the, one of the great movies to, to watch. Uh, Matthew, really appreciate your time. Uh, congrats again on getting drafted. No worries. I uh, really appreciate it. And thanks again for having me on. Uh, there is uh, Matthew Perkins, one of the uh, newest prospects uh, added mm-hmm. to the Canuck system. Yeah, and lauded for his intelligence, and he kind of mentioned that about being able to connect plays and how important it is to know the game and and how focused he is on it. Uh, the, the thing that did stand out, and this kind of goes back to the 
it's funny when you talk to a guy and, and how he speaks and how he mentions things sometimes lines up with the profile of him. Intelligent player, hard worker, and a player who has a good understanding of what it takes mm-hmm. to become a pro, perhaps. And he says, like, he's dedicating his life to be a hockey player. Yeah. You know, a guy with that type of mindset. And that's not to say that, you know, <laughs> most of these guys don't have that mindset, but it's more about it's, everyone wants that, but what are you doing to get that? Yes. And clearly when it looks at the traits and everything, it's, you know, you see there's a lot of things that he has to improve and that's why he was passed up in the draft last year. And even he himself admitted he wasn't even sure he was going to get drafted this year. He didn't get his hopes up and he was pleasantly surprised when the Canucks came calling in the fourth round. But they're betting on the intelligent player who has the right mental makeup that's going to overcome and become something down the road. It's kind of the same thing that we talk about about certain undrafted players. They were undrafted, but... They had character, right? Yes. They had intelligence. They just needed time. But people didn't believe in them because they lacked certain traits. We've seen that happen in the past. What the Canucks are doing is they're banking on some of those guys in the draft. Yeah. And we'll see if it really lines up here with, the, with it working out with these players. You know, one of the uh, things that uh, is mentioned in his Elite Prospects profile is that uh, you know his skating stride needed a lot of work. Uh, it prevented him from separating from opponents at points, and clearly something he mentioned he's going to work on as well as uh, he gets more power skating into his game. So you know, again, an awareness of where you need to work, what you need to work on, and knowing that your journey to the NHL is probably going to be a long one. So continuing to develop and find little parts of your game that you are continuing improving mm-hmm. on and for a lot of these guys you know some of that is an understanding of if I'm going to make the NHL this is what I have to do and sometimes you know when you are a highly skilled player when you're a high offensive driver through junior ranks mm-hmm. you know, it takes you a while to come to that realization as a player that oh I'm not I'm not going to be able to score 50 goals in the NHL or even 30 goals in the NHL so what am I doing in order to win over a coach and get in his good books and be able to get ice time and and just have a healthy NHL career and for some of these guys I mean uh, that clearly is something Matthew Perkins has identified you know this is what I have to do to become an NHLer so uh, good chatting with uh, Matthew Perkins uh, fourth round selection of the Vancouver Canucks so we've talked a lot about what the Canucks did on mm-hmm. the draft floor and who they drafted the process in which they went through drafting these players what did they not do so far sat and what are they going to do as they get to free agency and signing season on the weekend well 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 now uh what they didn't do was the obvious thing they've been trying to do now and it seems like a broken record clearing cap space yes you know moving a contract and namely one connor garland and uh, I think the only thing we saw about Garland was he was part of the Canucks hype video for the schedule. Mm-hmm. The little t- t- uh, chat uh, yes. bit they had going on, his name popped up there as, as being part of the group chat. So uh, maybe that was an omen of things to come that he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding about that, obviously. But yes, I, I, you know, so nothing happened there. And I, I think one of the storylines from yesterday, especially towards the end when we finally heard from Alvin, and now we finally can expand on on it a little bit. There was a clear resignation to things not really getting done on the trade market and that they're going to have to address their needs in free agency. And 
if trades are going to happen, it's very much a wait and see. Yeah. Nothing's really on the front burner. It's been very difficult, as evidenced by the lack of mobility and yep. movement so far in the National Hockey League and the salary dumps, that it doesn't look very good for Vancouver at this moment to be making any trade of any significance. Uh, when we talked to Alvin last night, he mentioned probably going through free agency to add pieces to his roster rather than trade right now. You know, Canucks didn't have a second rounder this year. They don't have a second rounder next year. That's what it costs to move off of Josh Bailey for the New York Islanders, a future second-round draft choice. Is that something they're going to do to move off of Connor Garland? Is that something they want to do mm-hmm. to move off of Connor Garland? Probably not, right? And the thing about, well, just find any trade for, for Connor Garland. Realistically, how many teams are looking to take on Connor Garland right now? Now it's so. I mean, you look at the priorities. There are a lot, yeah. number of players that rank ahead of him, and then Riley Smith out of nowhere got traded. Yes, who all of a sudden was a player that you know um, people didn't expect to get moved. So that clogged up the winger market, right? Ryan Johansson's already been moved. That's taken a spot up, and you start going through the list, and it's like probably seven or eight, nine more dominoes have to fall before mm-hmm. you look at the trade market and say, hey, that Connor Garland guy, maybe we're interested in him. And right now, what you're seeing is look at the trades that have happened. And how much money is going going the other way, right? Yeah. So the Taylor Hall one, where they traded him for nothing, he that was a bit most money being moved, twelve and a half million owed to him for the next two years, mm-hmm. and you got nothing back for him. No. Riley Smith was owed ten million, but a player who's really considered a really you know a rare, rare good solid player, but yeah. again three a third round pick, which is still peanuts for a guy like that usually, right? Josh Bailey was uh, in a $5 million cap charge, but it was owed, I think, $3 million and change in real cash this year. Yeah, still costs a second. And it still costs a second round. Which pick. is what it cost Vancouver to move off the, you know, th- almost $4 million in cash from Jason Dickinson's contract yeah. in the trade they made. So second round pick is the cost of that, right? Brings us back to Connor Garland. Connor Garland is owed $17.5 million. Yeah. So if you look at the money that's been moved, $10 million or so, and the cost of that or the acquisition cost of that, it's pretty clear that there's about a three to four or five million gap here, depending on who you're discussing Connor Garland with, in cash that they think he's not worth or mm-hmm. is too much to take on. What is Vancouver giving for somebody to take on that extra three to four or five million? The ask seemingly has been like it's been reported a, a high pick. Yeah. Well, Vancouver, I don't think, wants to be trading seconds. They don't no. want to be trading first, obviously. So it puts it in a position right now where unless they retain, which you now have the OEL buyout on the books. Mm-hmm. Can you retain and then in two years have $6 million of dead money on your cap? Yeah. Becomes a problem. So you can't really retain. You take a contract on, perhaps, but that hasn't aligned mm-hmm. yet. And you're not getting any value back. So no. I think Vancouver just has to kind of wait it out. They're in a position where right now you have to kind of wait to see what happens with Connor Garland because I don't think teams are interested in even, you know, a Niels Hoaglander with him. I'm not saying the Canucks have offered that. I'm just yeah. saying based on the value that teams want, I don't think Vancouver can package him up with spare parts and move him off the books. Like I think teams want assets or you have to wait for a situation where somebody all of a sudden says, hey, we need somebody. Our options are gone. Now all of a sudden Garland for free or Garland for something isn't so bad. There's not a ton of teams that have lots of or oodles of cap space uh, to play with either. And I think some of this has to be some of the free agent market will play out. And then teams that still have an opening maybe start to look elsewhere, maybe look at a Connor Garland to add to their roster as a piece that they can fit 
in their middle six on the wing. But, you know, Detroit added Kyler Yamamoto and Klim Costin today. They view those players as guys, cheap bets that are probably going to play lower roles in their lineup. And if Yamamoto doesn't work out, they can just move on from him next year. There's not a three-year commitment there. Arizona and Chicago, like Chicago's clearly been um, strategic in the types of players that they want to take on, that they are willing to take on. As it stands right now, they have two players that are signed beyond this next season. Actually, okay. So they have four players that are signed beyond this next season right now. Connor Murphy, Seth Jones, Taylor Hall, and Andreas Athanasiu. That's it. Yeah. You know, they don't have a ton of guys on the roster, on their books, beyond the next two seasons. Really, it's only Seth Jones and Connor Murphy beyond the next two seasons. So you're you're looking at teams that just they're not willing to even eat up their cap space right now with something that you're trying to offload unless you make it really enticing for them. And that's not a position I think the Canucks want to be in. I think as much as they would like to move off of Connor Garland because they don't see the fit for him on this roster necessarily, they also think he's a more valuable player than somebody they should have to you know, jettison yeah. a first or second round pick just to open up five million dollars of cap space well, for. You, I mean, as much as again, like I've been, I haven't been the biggest Garland fan, but again, like there is a way for him to still exist on the roster. The problem is, it's a very inefficient way for him to exist, and that is being a third line wing. Yeah, which means he's not going to be playing on the power play, maybe power play two, not on your PK. And he's not really in your top six, but he can help drive play on the third line. He'll be a net positive for you. It's just a lot of money for a net positive on the third line. But yep. hey, he's still a net positive in the sense of contributions on the ice. So he helps you, right? It's not ideal how you want your team to play and be built, but he still helps you out. And I think that's the most obvious way for him to stay here. And then, you know, you you kind of will see if PDG, uh, DiGiuseppe can fight for a spot again in the top six. And we'll see who else Vancouver signs. One of the things that... Alvin mentioned here was they're going to maybe try to find more Dakota Joshua types. Mm-hmm. So you start looking at guys on the lower end of the free agent market, 25, 26, 27 year olds, group six free agents. I've looked at a lot of names. I never thought I would look at on the free agent list, to be honest with you. Yes. Matt. No, I know. I know. And it's funny because I can, you can identify a couple of Swedes too. Yes. So you're like, huh, you know, maybe they'll add another Swede. <laughs> and uh, so th- I think there are a few guys in that uh, ilk that you can kind of look at and see if they can come in and fight for spots and maybe surprise and give you something. But I think it's becoming pretty clear that Vancouver is going to have to really be in that bargain defensive bin and the center bin. Mm-hmm. And unless they somehow make a play for Ryan O'Reilly, which I think is going to be outside their price range, it's going to be like a Teddy Bluger type, depending on what his price is going to be, and an Ian Cole. And I think that's pretty much what we're going to expect for this team. So... We'll see if they can make some trades as this offseason goes on. But if they can't, you're looking at maybe signing Ian Cole, signing a Teddy Bluger type, and it plugs some holes. Which kind of means they're running it back. Well, yeah. I mean, I think then you kind of have to, right? Running back most of the roster. Unless you're waiting for more things to happen as you get closer to August and the training camp. And once bonuses get paid out... Trades sometimes happen then. Like I don't think this organization is, is married to a lot of these players. Yeah. But it comes back to what we mentioned before. When is the timing about trading them? Mm-hmm. And I think it's becoming increasingly likely it's going to take some time here before any of those big trades happen. 
you know, as it stands, this text, well, instead of trading away Connor Garland, uh, how do you fit him on the roster? And we mentioned it, you know, he probably fits as a third line wing. You know, he kind of worked as the right winger for Nils Oman and Dakota Joshua, just in that that line kind of needed a puck carrier and Garland could be that for them. And when Garland played with JT Miller, it was kind of awkward because JT likes to be the guy that's transporting the puck and, and same goes for Elias Pettersson. So how does Garland adapt his game to playing with those guys? Whereas when he played with Oman and Joshua, I was just like, I can be that guy. Yes. And, and I'm most comfortable being that guy on this line. Yeah. And, but it's just, you know, you're paying a guy 5 million bucks to play 12 minutes a night. Yeah. And, and this is kind of where the roster is still very much in transition. Yeah. Right. Like I think I, ideally he's a player they like to move. We'll see with Besser ultimately, like if he doesn't show he can be the player they think, then because uh, here's the thing with Besser, as much as he's overpaid and as much as, um, you know, they're explored, they have explored the trade. You still need a right winger with the right shot that can score goals. Mm-hmm. And if you can find his goal scoring again, there's a way for him to exist here longer term and, and make it work. Cause if you look at the teams they built before Alvin and Rutherford, they still have the kind of goal-scoring wingers too, guys that are more adept at doing that. Like we mentioned before, you need to have your fourth checker, but then on the wing, you need somebody that's a bit of a sniper. So there is a way that if he finds his game that he can exist here, but unless he does, he's also very much on the block, right? Bavilia doesn't have a contract beyond this year. Like In terms of styles of players and, and guys they want to have here long-term, it's really something that still has to move. Now, the reason they're restricted obviously a lot of bad contracts on the books, Mm -hmm. but they also decided to make certain moves. They prioritize adding certain players and getting them back, which has compounded their cap situation and their lack of of flexibility. And the biggest thing that I wonder about now, did you miss opportunities that you may have had last year? And did you make decisions that you could have made last year, which could have prevented you from being in this cap situation? And I don't mean Mikheyev, because I think Mikheyev's exactly what they need more of on this team, but Garland, Besser, you may have had other options with those players a year ago. Yeah. Again, hindsight being twenty and twenty and all, but their cap situation, it's a bit of everything why they find themselves where they find. But I do think even if they had a bit more cap space, they still want to make certain deals at certain times that are favorable to them. So we'll see if they can pull it off. But I still think even if they don't say, quote unquote, let's say they run it back in October, all these yeah. guys are here, I would still bet on two or three trades during the course of the season. Uh, were they too married to what they felt they needed to get in trade to make those sorts of deals happen? You know, when it comes to the winger situation now, I mean, you've got Bavillier, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Besser, Joshua Garland, Di Giuseppe. Uh, I, I guess, you know, Pod Colson is part of that equation too at the NHL level. So, you know, they, they don't really need uh, a ton of help. <laughs> on the wings as they go into free agency unless they move off of yeah. some guys. You know, I didn't even mention Nils Hoaglander, who is not that far off from being somebody who would have to clear waivers in order to go to the AHL. So, yeah. like, they have to start making some decisions on some guys. Well, they do. But to me, though, like, I, I don't think I don't think this – I think this team needs different types of wingers. Yes. I, I, don't think, I don't think that they don't need wingers. They need different types of wingers. But they have so many of them already. So like adding more, it's a bit complicated unless you get a guy that has some versatility mm-hmm. that can play center perhaps for you and you can kind of move him around and gives you a little bit of something and, and perhaps... But like they don't have enough guys that can PK. Like Garland and Bavillier are right now guys that... Like you could have a third line of 
whichever the third line center is they draft, let's just say, I mean, a third line center they sign, let's just say for argument's sake, it is Teddy Bluger, whoever yep. it is, right? Let's say Bluger between Bavillier and Garland. The only penalty kill there on that line is their center. Yeah. Which is kind of not in line with what you would want on your third line, mm-hmm. which means you're still looking at which penalty killers do you have on the wing that are going to be effective. Mikheyev comes in. Does that mean you have to put Miller back in there a bit more? Yeah. You know what I mean? Besser doesn't kill penalties. You want him there. So all of a sudden now you're still in a position where you're like, you're still looking for more penalty killers, right? Looking for guys that can be more two-way impact guys. And that's why in an ideal world, I love the Barbashev type if you didn't have cap space. But if you don't have cap space, I think they still have to add somebody on the wings or somebody that should come in and compete that can fill that type of role. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is a Dakota Joshua type that's going to come into training camp and, and be part of a group of players vying for that spot. But I do think they're very much missing that too. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, Tones with this text. I just hope they stay patient and recognize that they won't solve it all right away. Try to rebuild the D and let that be the first step. It's a good text there from Tones. Uh, keep your texts coming in. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We're going to get to the mailbag. Your questions, draft-related, most of them, coming up next on Canuck Central.